Hello and welcome to the Katie Halper Show. I'm your host, Katie Halper. Monday, March 29th is the deadline for mail-in ballots for almost 6,000 Amazon workers in Bessemer, Alabama, who are voting on whether to form the company's first union. The workers there make an average of $15.30 an hour. Over 80% of them are black and the majority of them are women. And just a reminder that Amazon CEO and founder Jeff Bezos is the richest person in the world. During the pandemic, his fortune rose by $75 billion. So to talk about this unionization effort, I speak to Chris Smalls, a former Amazon worker, and Alex Press, a labor reporter. Chris Smalls worked for Amazon for five years, but was fired shortly after he helped organize a work stoppage at the company's warehouse on Staten Island, New York, in protest over a lack of protective gear and hazard pay for employees. He's since become an organizer and founded the Coalition of Essential Workers. Alex Press is a staff writer at Jacobin, and her writing has appeared in places like Washington Post, The New Republic, The Nation, N Plus One, and more. My co-host on this episode is Jamie Peck, who is the co-host herself of the Antifada podcast. Please rate and review the show on iTunes, and also please subscribe to our Patreon at patreon.com slash the Katie Helper Show. Again, that's patreon.com slash the Katie Helper Show. For $5 a month, you get bonus episodes, extended interviews. This week, you'll be getting an interview that I did with Karina Moreno about Biden's immigration policies and some less serious chats like debates about cheese that I have with Karina and Rania Kalik. I'm going to start out with asking Chris, um, what... Uh, what your view of what is happening is right now in Bessemer, Alabama. I hope, um, you know, once again, that we're successful. Uh, we had a very good campaign, as you've seen. Bernie Sanders was just down there, Killer Mike. A lot of prominent people showed up down there. Sarah Nelson, who I will be actually interviewing tonight. That's why I have to oh, run. Oh, great. Well, thank you for making time for us. Oh, yeah, yeah. She'll, she'll be joining um, uh, It's a Smalls World, uh, my podcast. So uh, we're going to be talking about that same exact thing uh, uh the union drive tomorrow that's going to be ending and i'm just uh happy to show my solidarity i've been doing a bunch of uh, appearances at the rallies here in new york and we have actually one more coming up on tuesday which will be after the the, the vote but uh we're hoping to have the results back in and we'll have some positive news to share with the former facility that i worked at that's where the rally will be at so it's a great it's a great week coming up and it's great things in the media right now about the working class. This union drive is probably the most important of all. So I'm just happy to be a part of it. Alex, do you want to just set up from uh, the reporting you've done, like what it, what's happening here, um, the significance of it? Yeah, I mean, what Chris said is definitely true at the end there, that this is a really important um, union drive. Um, I mean, people sort of always say every union election is important, but not only is this like a lot of workers, so it's almost 6,000 workers that'll be in this union should they vote to um, unionize, but also it's sort of this like turning point in that Amazon is so anti-union and is so sort of the leading model of what the economy is going to look like, um, that it, it represents a sort of similar thing to when auto plants were first organized, you know, if there were a victory um, at this Amazon plant or at this warehouse, it would be a sort of similar thing. Um, you know, that said, I think whether they win or lose it, we've already seen that it's sort of inspiring similar activity um, around the country, not only at Amazon, but also at other companies, because the sort of thinking is if people can get to this point in an Alabama Amazon warehouse, then, you know, any workers anywhere have, you know, should try to organize. 
Um, and so that's sort of the context of what's happening. Obviously, there's the fact that it's a right to work state, incredibly, um, you know, sort of hard to organize context. Um, all of that is really important, too. Um, but I think, you know, what Chris said of like the coverage of this, I think is really important. All of a sudden, there's sort of a way more critical conversation about sort of what workers have the right to demand um, on the job. Um, and I think you can point to this campaign as sort of responsible for that. Yeah. So um, this campaign is going on under the banner of the Retail, Wholesale and Department Store Union, the mm -hmm. RWDSU. Um, I was just wondering if you guys had any insight into why the workers went with that union and maybe some of the pros and cons of going with a more traditional kind of what some might say is a business union over what might be considered more uh, radical and autonomous forms of labor organizing. Yeah, so from my, my experience when I drove down there um, and I connected with the union, uh, the leaders and some of the workers as well, and some of the union reps, and um, the poultry factories are what that union predominantly represents. And those factories are down there uh, sprinkled out throughout Alabama, some of them about even an hour or two hours away from Bessemer. And those union reps came down there to organize with the, the RWDSU which is based out of Birmingham. They have their office over there. So um, this uh, this union down there represents a lot of the workers, uh, essentially majority of the uh, the black and brown communities. A lot of those workers already were embedded with the RWDSU. And when Amazon opened up shop last year uh, around March, it was a perfect opportunity for them to jump all over uh, unionizing, which they actually got a head start on and did successfully. So um, the RWDSU represents what the workers want at that time. And, um, you know, that's the beauty of, of working, um, well, working for this company, because at the same time, you can have a different union in every single uh, facility. And whichever union represents the working class or the workers of that building the best, it's the one that you want to go with. So I'm happy that the workers actually chose to pick that union and the union actually supported them all the way through. You've been down there, Chris, right? Can you talk about what you've seen down there and how it compares to what you went through um, up north? Well, I could tell you this. Um, when I looked at that facility, is exact same uh, size and the amount of workers, even though they're, I think they're at 6,000. We're the same thing up here in Staten Island, about 5,000, probably a, lot of, a little bit more now um, with the hiring that they have been doing. Um, so I look at that building, same size, almost 14 NFL football fields, over a million square feet. The similarities are there. The majority of black and brown workers that is representing, um, that that's what really resonated with me um, when I connected with the workers down there. The fact that I'm able to uh, tell my story and a lot of them didn't even know who I was. And we were able to have those real conversations of why I drove 16 hours down there and the importance of them voting yes. So that stuff like that, uh, what happened to me and others don't happen to them and don't happen uh, anymore. You know, we want to be protected. We want to demand uh, to have PPE. We want to have all these negotiations and contracts. We, we need a union to absolutely represent us. So um, I think those conversations really, really resonated with the workers. So you've referenced a few times how uh, the majority of the workers in this shop are black and brown. Um, 
how, how do you see this union drive intersecting with the fight for racial justice? And do you think it's been mediated at all by the uh, the George Floyd rebellion of the of last summer? So, uh, you know, I from my own personal experience with Amazon, um, they have a very deep systemic uh, issue as well and culture as well. Um, my, I myself applied for management position 49 times and I was denied. And as you look um, at their numbers, which are publicly you know, shown, only 8% of upper management is, is, is uh, black and brown. And then we're talking about over a million and a half employees worldwide. So as you move up the ladder, the less diverse it is in that company. And after 26 years of existence, um, there's something wrong there. So I believe that this union drive will also uh, also be the, the tipping point for when management can now give an equal op employment opportunity to workers, especially black and brown workers of these warehouses. So when uh, it's time for these promotions, uh, we have a, a fair share and we have a fair shot of getting promoted up instead of them pre predominantly picking uh, people that are you know just white or Caucasian. So I'm hoping that this uh, breaks barriers in many different ways. But the first thing would be to unionize. Yeah. And I'll just add on that, that the context here, you know, if you sort of start reading about or talking to some of the workers in the Bessemer facility who sort of got this um, union drive started, they were very active in, for example, the protests against Confederate monuments in Alabama. Um, and they explicitly cite those protests and also the just more general protests over the summer um, that followed from George Floyd's murder as what gave them the confidence to start organizing their facility facilities. So it's it's not anyone outside of the campaign who's sort of drawing those conclusions. I've written about it extensively. It's actually those that starts from what the words themselves are saying here, um, which I think is an important point for people way beyond just this campaign to think about, which is that, you know, I write about the labor movement. That's what I do all the time. Um, and people sort of treat that as separate from, say, the, those protests over the summer. Um, for racial justice. But the fact is that the people at those protests go back into the workplace. Um, and so these things are incredibly um, linked and you can't really separate them. And I think this is a really good example, a pretty high profile example of that being the case, but it's true at a smaller scale or you know, outside of the headlines at all sorts of workplaces across the country right, right now, um, that people who sort of feel newly empowered because they were a part of those protests are trying to do something in their workplaces as well. And so I think it's something everybody on the left should sort of take note of in that sense. And um, I mean, yeah, the fact that Bessemer has a very radical history when it comes to anti-racist labor movement activity, um, that's also the case. There was a sort of Black-led civil rights tradition union called the Mine Mill Union um, that, you know, made, helped make a place like Bessemer a real, like, heart of the labor movement, um, you know, it, decades ago. And so those are people's grandparents um, who are explicitly informing this sort of perspective that people are taking. And can you uh, share, Chris, what some of the things that you experienced that Amazon subjected you to, what made you organize a walkout and what the experiences are like of the people in Bessemer? So, yeah, I've been it's funny, ironically, I've been sharing um, I've been sharing all week uh, sort of like a, a recap of what I went through last year, just going back into that mind state leading up to the walkout. Um, I sat in the cafeteria for 10 hours a day off the clock, unpaid. Um, not just myself, but with several workers. Um, unfortunately, none of them were paid. And I organized that because I thought that management had my back. They actually were praising me for doing that. 
Um, they gaslighted me into thinking I'm doing something, organizing workers until they decided to quarantine me and only me. And that's when I felt like, wow, this is this is it. You know, um, I can't work for a company that's not going to care about our concerns when especially we're talking about, you know, I brought a majority of black and brown and women. We're talking about women uh, as well that were having uh, uh, some were pregnant, some had infants at home, some had underlying health conditions. And they disregarded all of that to quarantine me and silence me and stop us from organizing when we're really it was a life or death situation at that time. So when I think about this union drive, um, you know, if we had a union to represent us, none of those things would have happened. You know, we would have had the proper PPE, we would have had the proper um, right to uh, hear our grievances out and had the right to actually organize without uh, retaliation. And I probably would still have a job. Actually, I'm definitely would have a job if I had a union to represent me. And that's the difference. And that's the importance of of why uh, my story and my journey that, you know, throughout throughout the year um, is so important to this fight as well, because I continue to organize and, and support workers all around the country, if not all, all around the world. So um, I'm hoping once again that, you know, tomorrow when the vote closed, that it's a landslide and it's on our behalf because it's time. Were there any horror stories that you heard about from Bessemer that were, I mean, I, my, this is probably a bit stereotypical, but I of course assume, not that I think it's rosy, um, you know, on Staten Island in many ways, uh, I, but in the Northeast, right? But of course things t are in the South can be much more brutal when it comes to workers' conditions and it's a right to work state. So have you, have you seen a, a, a difference, heard a difference in the stories that you've, you've heard about? Or are the similarities more striking than the differences? No. Um, well, there's similar things, but I could tell you from what they experienced and what I experienced as well when I was down there. So I, I stood out there for hours with the organizers or without them holding signs. And, um, you know, some, some of the stories they were telling me was that uh, management will come out. We'll talk about managers of Amazon will come out and flip the bird to them, you know, call them racial slurs, N-words. Um, there's a police present at every entrance. It's true about the traffic lights. They do change automatically as soon as your car pull up. So the organizers don't even have a chance to, to talk to these workers anymore. And I ran into some workers at a local grocery store and, um, they told me they were subjected to four classes a day. They go into class four times a day, these classrooms, they're broken down into small groups of 20 and they're just drilled nothing but non facts about unions all day long and and i couldn't imagine doing that and i, I don't know if you've seen the report about how they offering i believe it's two thousand dollars for them to resign now and then rehired after the union vote process this is something this company has never done before usually when it comes to that offer when you take that offer you can't work, work for amazon or any of the subsidiaries ever again so they're doing some things that are just above and beyond they're spending millions of dollars to bust this union uh drive up and it's a shame. It's unfortunate that the richest, you know, man in the world continues to do this. That's how pro worker they are. They don't want workers to be fired permanently, so they're willing to rehire them. If you want to resign, <laughs> so you're not part of the union count, for instance. Yeah, that's their. Uh, I'm sure that's 
their, how they'd spin it. Um, and as, as MCVS points out, workers may vote no in fear of retaliation. Um, have you seen that? Uh, have you heard that fear expressed or people's reluctance? And if people do no. think that they may not say it, what advice do you have for them? It's, it's a lot of misinformation, you know, uh, you know, the Amazon is telling them that they're going to lose hundreds of dollars as soon as they sign up with this union, that they're going to go on an immediate strike for months and lose out on months of pay. They're going to pay $500 up front, not really explaining that that $500 is really for the annual cost of a union. And uh, as far as me telling them about what happened to me or uh, other workers reaching out to these workers down there in Bessemer saying what happened to them, those are the stories that really resonate is because they they, um, they want to understand, like, why do we need to vote yes for this union? And I believe that when we connected with them and we told them, like, hey, I was a picker, I was a packer, I was a stower for 10, 11, 12 hours. I was in the same position you was for four years, for five years. Those really those stories right there really connected with them. And not only did uh, I got the feedback from workers saying that they're going to vote yes because of that. They're going to tell their co-workers, they're going to tell the people on their assembly line to vote yes as well. So it was really helpful, actually. Jamie, do you have a question? Or if I have more. Sure. Right, so I'm like, oh, yeah. I'll do Is it my turn? Um, you don't have, yeah. Or what, you and what Alex, of... if you have any questions as a journalist, of course. I just want to say hi, Alex. I mean, I always see it. I always talk to Alex. <laughs> This is the first time I've seen on the visual. I know it's good to get a visual of you. I haven't actually, you know, we haven't met, so uh, this is this is a nice homecoming. I mean, it's funny seeing you when they mentioned that you're going to be on the show. I was like, God, what a long year for right, you. It's been, <laughs> it's been a long year for all of us, but my God, it's crazy for you. Yeah. So yeah. yeah, no, I don't have any questions for Chris. I mean, I'm just happy that he's still fighting the fight and that he's you know involved in this in supporting the workers in Bessemer, yeah. um, because that's the thing is. For better or worse, and it's probably for worse, you can't organize just one Amazon facility. You just can't. Um, you know, even if these Bessemer workers vote in the union, you know, the first thing that Amazon's going to do is start trying to make their facility redundant. Um, and so connections across Amazon facilities, win or lose this vote, um, are going to be key to actually building worker power. Um, and so efforts like what Chris is doing, I think, are really important. So That's super important. Um mm -hmm. I was going to ask, um, what kind of support have the workers at this facility seen from the organized left so far, um, whether we're talking about DSA or other organizations? And what do you think the role of the organized left should be in supporting this kind of union activity? Well, for one, um, you know, I like the, I like that the politicians went down there and that's that's cool and all, you know, but we also got to think you know, what workers do on a normal day-to-day -day basis. And a lot of workers don't come home and turn on the media and they don't turn on social media or get on Twitter like we do or, mm -hmm. uh, you know, jump on podcasts. They don't do that. You know, we, I can tell you personally, when I got off of work at Amazon, I was going to sleep um, to get ready for the next day, which was literally like a power nap. So what can we do on the outside um, <laughs> besides pray? Uh, we just have to support it any way possible. Um, if you are in Bessemer, if you're on the ground, if you're connecting with workers in any way, shape or form, uh, that's what you have to do. Support them until this vote is all the way through. Um, and, and that's it. You know, hope for the best, because, you know, at the end of the day, uh, these workers are being torn. You know, they're being torn when they go to work. They got their management all day long. Uh, and, and plus uh, what uh, 
Union Busters, Amazon hired that they're paying $3,200 a day on top of them. And they're getting all these incentives right now. They're getting all these tools to go anti-union uh, brainwashed, so to speak. They're being brainwashed as they go in that building. I can tell you that. And when they come out of there, you know, they're met with union reps on the corner. And then they, they're met with signs and everything all around their city. So they're being torn. And we just have to make sure that, you know, we support them and let them know, uh, show them our solidarity, whether it's uh, online, whether it's on the ground. These events that we're doing nationwide has been helpful and insightful. Um, I'm starting to see workers from that building tweet at me now. So it's great to make these connections slowly but surely is working. Yeah, I mean, my opinion on this is that it is the role of the organized left to be there as much as possible. So whether you're talking about DSA, which, you know, to my understanding, has been incredibly present, both locally and also national leadership of DSA has, you know, have been in Bessemer supporting the workers. But, you know, beyond that, but beyond organizations sort of supporting workers, trying to organize and doing what they can to build that effort. You know, a lot of people ask me all the time, not just about Amazon, about about all sorts of union campaigns like what can i do to help you write about a workplace issue and people say what can i do to help and the answer is generally that you should either organize a union at your workplace or start strengthening existing unions that you're in or the labor movement in your city um, because you know you can't do a lot of people i think wish they could just donate or something you know that you could just sort of do one thing really quickly and it makes, you know, and it helps the workers. The reality is that we all have to get organized. There's just no way that even an organized, you know, Amazon, that those workers could keep those unions, um, that they could win strong contracts without rebuilding the labor movement writ large. Um, and so sadly, the answer is that it's not going to be one thing that you do one time, um, but you actually have to start strengthening um, labor where you are as well. Um, and that that will actually help the workers elsewhere, even if it doesn't seem so obvious right away. Well, speaking of have to organize, uh, I know someone uh, has to leave the chat right now because uh, he's doing so much organizing. And right now, I believe you said you're going to be uh, interviewing Sarah Nelson. Um, yep. uh, so, so thank you so much, Chris, for coming. Alex, we're going to hold you hostage sure. for a little bit longer, if that's OK. That and any fun. final words that you have, Chris, for anyone out there? Oh, uh, yes. Uh, you know, just say to stay tuned. Uh, support the union drive uh, last day tomorrow. Uh, workers get their ballots in. Hopefully they already did already. Vote yes. And um, follow my show as well. It's a small world. Um, my campaign is starting actually on, on Tuesday, March 30th. I'll be rallying outside of Staten Island, my former facility, JFK 8, at 11 a.m. If you're in the New York area, come out, show out. It's going to be a huge turnout. Stand in solidarity with the workers. Thank you. Great. Thanks so much, Chris. Great Thank seeing you. Have Chris. a great night. You too. Take care. Later. Thanks. We as socialists don't just want workers to get a better pay and better benefits, better conditions, et cetera, et cetera. We want workers to take over the means of production and run it themselves because people have the, the people making this stuff, we believe, have the right to control how the stuff gets made and, you know, control over their time and their creative powers. So how does how might a union campaign like this one fit into the broader fight against capitalism and for socialism? That's a great question, Jamie. And that's a gigantic question as well, obviously. Um, I mean, the reality is so you know, the thing with a union campaign is that, you know, unions are not revolutionary organizations. Um, 
but they're so they're insufficient of course for you know if you want to take away amazon from the bosses and put the infrastructure in the hands of workers um you're not going to do it just with the union but you're not going to do it without organized workers and a union is just what we call it when workers are organizing. Um, and so, you know, as it exists currently, we're living, you know, at the whims of people like Jeff Bezos and um, people like the workers in the Bessemer facility have no say at all in what they're subjected to, um, which is why you hear all these horror stories um, about these jobs, especially at Amazon. Um, and so, you know, a union is a step along the way, right? Because if workers are disorganized like they currently are in the United States and more so than ever after this pandemic, people are more alienated than ever. They're suffering more than they have in a very long time, at least a lot of people. Um, you're never going to get anywhere with that kind of um, disorganization and alienation. And so workers coming together and actually exercising, um, you know, they're, the small number of legal rights that they have in this country um, is the first step along the way of actually them getting empowered enough to do something more. So if you want to demand that, say, you know, the workers seize the warehouses, well, you're never going to do that if the workers can't even speak up and speak back to their managers, right, um, without fear of being retaliated against. So if you don't have things like just cause, if you don't have things like protection against discriminations, if you don't have things like a livable wage, no one is going to have time to do anything further, you know, because as Chris said, they're, everybody's too busy trying to get enough rest to go back to work the next day. Um, and so these efforts, I think, are incredibly important. And like I said earlier, you know, it, you can't do it in one warehouse. Um, that's just never going to be sustainable, even if you can win a win a union or win a contract even in that warehouse. Um, Amazon is incredibly powerful and they build in redundancy um, and turnover is incredibly high. And so, you know, these efforts as they spur other efforts elsewhere and they start building kind of networks of organization among workers, um, that's that's sort of the blueprint and the early markers of what actual worker power looks like. That's my opinion at the very yeah. least. And that let's we can also get into those bigger philosophical questions. But well, it's also wanted to ask you some of the particulars in the recent journalism sure. that you did. But I do mm -hmm. think that's an interesting thing. I'm glad you asked that, Jamie, because now I bet a lot of people who were uh, potentially uh, dismissive of uh, of the points of unions. Now, everyone. No one can leave, basically, is what I'm saying. We are yeah, I'm holding attention. my own captive meeting right now. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we are. We are the three of us because there's power in union anyway. Oh, right. um, <laughs> but you have two recent pieces, um, a few actually, but you've one in um, the, uh, the New Republic mm -hmm. and you have one in, at Jacobin. Um, the New Republic one uh, just kind of goes over the basics um, and uh, it's very good. I highly recommend it. Um, and you set up uh, this David and Goliath situation. If I can just read this one mm -hmm. part of it. You say it is pure David and Goliath, though maybe that doesn't fully capture it. Bezos is worth $184 billion. The median household income in Bessemer is just over 30000 One in four residents live in poverty. This is a man who has everything trying to crush a town. Should the organizing drive succeed, the Bessemer employees will be the first Amazon workers to unionize in the U.S. A smaller effort involving a few dozen technicians in Middletown, Delaware, Middleton, Delaware, was defeated in 2014 with a vote of 21 no to six yes. Talk about the stakes of that. And then you say um, Amazon, out of ways to delay the election, is still running a standard anti-union campaign. 
What this means is holding captive audience meetings where workers are required to listen to fear mongering by management. Those who speak up face attempts at intimidation, um, which Chris referred to. But can you expand on that and what workers are being subjected to? Yeah. So Amazon does not hold back when it comes to running an anti-union campaign. Like I've said, you know, they hate unions. Um, They have to deal with them in Europe. You know, some of their workers in Europe are unionized and they, you know, at times in France at the beginning of the pandemic, they actually shut down their facilities rather than obey court rulings that said they had to sort of had have better um, working conditions. So they they hate this stuff. Um, and so in Bessemer, what they've been doing is holding captive audience meetings, which is, as Chris referred to, you know, during your shift, you're pulled into a like a, a classroom or a room um, where management starts giving you anti-union talking points. Um, the Bessemer workers have said repeatedly that they're sort of um, scared and threatened in these meetings that if they start speaking up to point out that they're lying to the workers, um, that they're either filmed or otherwise it's made clear that their identification is being taken down um, in an attempt to get people to stop talking. And again, these are people, these managers lie. They've always lied. I mean, that's not just true at Amazon. That's true at every company. Um, but Amazon management has been sort of caught on record lying about unions. You know, for example, they're saying they're going to have to pay a ton of dues. First of all, it's a right to work state. You don't have to pay any dues if you don't want to. I don't. Th- I think that's bad. I think everyone right. should pay dues, but just it's factually incorrect what they're telling people. Um, but so there's that. There's, you know, workers report getting a dozen texts a day. You know, every employee is getting texts that are anti-union. Like Chris said, there's police at the facility. It's making the whole thing an incredible, even more unpleasant to work at Amazon than it already was. Um, the thing about this mail-in voting, which is what's going on because of the pandemic, is that um, by law, uh, Amazon has to stop holding these captive audience meetings once the voting starts, which it started on February 8th. So it's a particularly extended period of time that they're voting. It's you know almost two months voting process. Um, so those meetings have stopped, but you know, the flyers in the bathroom that say don't vote for a union, the texts, all of that stuff, that's still going on. Um, so they've been legally restrained a little bit, but they're still, you know, the workers are still being intimidated. And we really can't undercount how important that is, um, because for a lot of a lot of workers who might have been ambivalent, if you're subjected to this stuff day in and day out um, and told that your facility is going to close or you're going to have to spend all this money, if your manager is lying to you all the time and you know, and it's relentless, then you go from ambivalent to anti-union. And it's not because you hate unions, it's because you're scared. Um, And so I think whatever the results are, a big part of the story is going to be that this anti-union campaign that was waged by Amazon. And what are the kind of the most disgusting things that you've heard uh, so far? In terms of the the lies, the misrepresentations, and of course, we can ask you about your piece, which is great. It's about how, how you deal with this as a journalist, how they respond to you. Yeah, I mean, Amazon just lies. That's what you're referring to is this piece I wrote, I guess, two days ago. I've, I've actually written about like 10 pieces about this Amazon up, right? campaign. Yeah, I Chris was leaving to speak to Sarah Nelson. and I actually did. Right. I had a long conversation with her um, because she visited Bessemer, which I think is great. It's good that a labor leader like that would go there um, to support the union campaign. Um, but yeah, in that piece, I sort of open it by saying that everybody knows, um, who writes about Amazon, that Amazon lies, you know, and the three of us might think that like executives at companies lie all the time. Um, and I think we'd probably be right in thinking that, but it's like mainstream journalists know that Amazon lies. Like they just have a record here of small lies and big lies, you know, lies about their, the injury rates at their warehouses have been, you know, shown to be like radically undercounting. 
um, the number of injuries. Amazon's warehouses have way higher than average injury rates, um, which is a thing that the company had real reason to want to lie about. And, but they did it. Um, and no one would have found out if it weren't for, you know, this investigative journalist that sort of found these records. Um, and they lie about small things, like they'll say a local journalist said one thing when in fact then the journalist produces an email where they say the opposite. So um, I think that's just an important context for people to know about Amazon, um, that you really can't take them at their word. Um, so again, you know, what they've been saying to workers about the dues is a lie. Also, it's worth noting that, of course, Amazon paid, gave hazard pay to workers um, towards the start of the pandemic. That was $2 an hour. Um, and they put out lots of press releases about it, and everyone was very proud of them and celebrating how much they cared about their workers. And they quietly rolled that back and took away the $2 an hour within about two months' time. So by the end of, I think, May, all the workers were, no longer were having that um, hazard pay. So when they talk about the union is going to take some of your money, I, you know, some Bessemer workers themselves have pointed out that, like, you know, who cares? You took our money first. Um, there's no way we're going to you know, lose more money than what you took away from us, um, even as the pandemic kept going. Um, so it's things like that. And again, I mean, a lot of people, especially in a state like Alabama, who are young, have no experience with unions. And so if they're exposed to lie after lie, it's you know not surprising that they start believing it. Um, and so these things are really insidious, I think, is a key thing to take away. They also, you know, there's been reporting that showed um, that they're sort of ha hiring workers who are temps that won't be in the union and having them wear, you know, vote no pins and otherwise like anti-union flair on the shop floor. Um, so these are workers who, you know, are totally alienated from the rest of the workforce because they're even more temp than everyone else. Many of them, you know, it's been pointed out that there's a large you know, prison nearby and these are workers with records often working in the warehouses and recruited, you know, without many options otherwise for employment. And then they're sort of subjected to the fact that they're supposed to be scabs and supposed to be wearing this anti-union flair and stuff. And so, you know, it's just like a very, I think, illustrative and rich microcosm, what's going on there of what the sort of state of American labor is, which is these divisions are sort of used to even further weaken um, the American working class. And that's all playing out in this one facility. And uh, so as you can imagine, I think a lot of the workers there are very exhausted um, and ready for this campaign to come to an end, which, you know, is scary um, because, you know, an exhausted and demoralized workers are not going to be workers who want to keep fighting. And Amazon has started being very strange on social media lately. They're mad. They're very something, mad. something is going on. And actually, there was reporting today that came out that showed that this is actually coming from the top. It's Jeff Bezos who was saying that he wanted Amazon to be more aggressive in pushing back against sort of the claims that they're, it's bad to work at Amazon, um, which is a very interesting strategy that has gone incredibly poorly for them. Oh yeah, like the, the one about workers pissing in bottles where they were like, oh, no one would work there. No one would be willing to work here if we made them do that. But like, it's already been documented right. by yeah. reporters and not like crazy socialist reporters, like normal ones. Right. Normal, and I just want to say, well, we have this Dave Clark tweet yeah, up. Yeah, we're going to go look um, at that. Yeah. So, so this guy is sort of the CEO of like the the retail sort of side, um, and but he played a huge role in the logistics um, sort of um, like infrastructure that Amazon has. So he played a big role in setting up a lot of these warehouses. And actually, his nickname—he has said this before in years past—he got the nickname of the sniper um, because he would hide in warehouses and try to catch people who were slacking um, to fire them. 
So this guy sucks. Like he really sucks. He's not Jeff Bezos, but he is like, if anybody has responsibility for the working conditions in these warehouses, he is one of those people. Um, And so it was very interesting that he felt sort of that he was okay to start making claims about Amazon being a good place to work, which is what this tweet um, did. Yeah, let's go. Let's look at this tweet. And yeah, he he said this about himself that he called he acknowledged he was called the sniper. Yes. He, yeah, he, he has in the past, past. like years guy. ago. All right. Years ago. Yeah, that was, you know, remember Gordon Gre- Gecko said greed is good. It was a different time. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. I don't think it was that long ago, but th- their PR wasn't as refined as it is now. I mean, so. an interesting thing that I think a lot of people on the left don't realize because, you know, on the left, it's understood that Amazon sucks, right? Because right. There's, there have been stories for years now about how bad the working conditions in the warehouses are. So I think people like us, often we don't know a lot of people who like Amazon or, you know, if you use Amazon, it's sort of embarrassing or something. People are like sh- ashamed about it. But, you know, at least a couple years ago, I think it was, there was a survey of Americans and Amazon one is, was one of the most trusted institutions in America. Among Democrats, I think it was number one. Among Republicans, oh I think it was number three after the military and like the local police or something. Um, and so it was, you know, people love Amazon. And so this idea that it's like shameful to work for Amazon or to be responsible for this, uh, the, this logistics setup they have that re- requires that workers are timed down to the second. Um, for a lot of people, it is not shameful. And actually, everybody, everybody they know loves Amazon. And so I think, you know, if you did that survey today, it might have shifted a little bit. Um, but we have a ways to go as far as how the average person in this country views this company. Yeah. How how are we going to do that? Because I feel like there is an audience among a certain kind of left liberal that maybe right. reads the New York Times. Maybe they voted for Elizabeth Warren. Like they at least pretend to care about these things. Like yeah. how do we make Amazon as radioactive as big tobacco? Well, I don't know. I think this could reach the libs you're talking about. It may not be able to. Um, Dave Clark, the guy we were just talking about. I welcome Senator Sanders to Birmingham and appreciate his push for a progressive workplace. I often say we are the Bernie Sanders of employers, but that's not quite right because we actually deliver a progressive workplace. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. For our constituents. Oh, sorry. He also, dude, hire someone to, like, write your tweets out better so that they flow and they stop. You can do the plus tweets. Trust me, I just discovered this and I'm streaming online, so I get it. But um, because we actually deliver a progressive workplace for our constituents, colon, a $15 minimum wage, health care from day one, career progression, and a safe and inclusive work environment. So if you want to hear about a $15 an hour and health care, Senator Sanders will be speaking downtown. But if you would like to make at least $15 an hour and have good health care, Amazon is hiring. I like how you kind of read that in a mean girl's voice. (laughs) That's the voice that it should be read in, like uh full on Regina George. First of all, the $15 minimum wage thing was there was a literally an act, right? Called like the Bezos Act. The Stop Bezos Act. Stop Bezos Act. Sanders Sanders, like really agitates these people. Yeah. There's a reason reason this meltdown started happening when Sanders said he was going to go to Alabama to support the union. Like, you know, you can say what you will about Sanders or whatever, but the truth is, you know, in the it, in the response from the corporations, which is they start losing it when he yeah. makes a move like this. Yeah. Also, thanks for sharing the article about it, the Business Insider <laughs> article about it. Uh, like, t- 
Mr. Clark. Uh, it's kind of weird. But again, he's not so good. On, do you think that there must be like so many Amazon consultants who are like, get Clark away from his laptops? Well, the, I mean, the interesting thing that came out today in an article that Vox published, um, they have a, a reporter who's just on the Amazon beat pretty much. And it turns out that actually the tweets that I'm sure we'll get to that were sent from Amazon News, which is the company's sort of PR arm, um, were seen as so outside the bounds of what's normal that the software engineers in Amazon started flagging it and assuming that maybe uh. someone had gotten access to the account who wasn't authorized to do it. Because this was just, you know, the actual sort of team that understood how this works yeah. were like, this is so insane um, th <laughs> that these tweets are being made and posted um, by executives and by the company that something, we, maybe we got hacked or something. Um, so, yeah, totally. I think going forward, Dave Clark is, uh, yeah. being, his password yeah. is being withheld from him. I know. And his password is probably password, honestly, if That's we're being true. honest. Yeah. Let me just show this one um, other thing that, again, they're really... Um, totally shameless about this in recent years amazon has advocated for increasing the federal minimum wage to 15 dollars an hour highlighting in the research that the current minimum wage sits at 725 an hour a level unchanged since 2009 the longest stretch without an increase and again yes and that is because they were forced to do that and can i just add something yeah, about this because this is like one of the things that drives me the most insane about how people talk and report on amazon um which is people sort of take this $15 starting wage that Amazon offers at its facilities um, and they compare it to like fast food starting wages. So they compare it to like McDonald's and they're like, see how much better Amazon is than McDonald's. Amazon is not a fast food job. Amazon is a warehouse and logistics job um, with all the physical strain and injuries and dangers and exhaustion that come with that. Um, and it's not like a conspiracy theory. It's not unclear. It, the studies are very obvious and straightforward on this, that Amazon pays less than the prevailing wage in its industry. You know, other warehouses pay more. Amazon is paying less than average. And actually when Amazon comes to town, when it builds a facility in a county, wages at other warehouses in that county go down. Um, and so Amazon is dragging wages down. People are sort of, they take this $15 wage as if Amazon is progressive in some way. Um, it is paying the bare minimum it needs to pay to attract workers. Um, and so the fact that people sort of compare this to actual minimum wage jobs is just a complete misunderstanding of what this work entails. And also buying hook, line and sinker Amazon's own PR on this, which is they want you to compare it to those jobs. They right. don't want you to think of it as a logistics job, which is usually unionized and has benefits right. um, far beyond what these jobs have. And the Stop Bezos Act that stood for Stop Bad Employers by Zeroing Out Subsidies Act. So that's what that's what Bernie worked on. And of course, Roe uh, Khanna. Um, what was it that they said that was so dishonest that it the pissing in bottles one? OK, so, so it was a reply to Mark Pocan, who's a representative who co-chairs the Labor Caucus in Congress. Yeah, I mean, and just to explain to your listeners, like Mar the representative was calling out Amazon for union busting and also mentioned that workers at Amazon pee in bottles. Uh, which is based on reporting that a British journalist, James Bloodworth, did where he went undercover at a warehouse in the UK a few years ago and found that workers were doing that. Um, and so that's sort of where it's famously known. But Amazon by responded to Mark directly on Twitter and said, you don't really believe the pissing in bottles thing, right? Amazon management knows its workers urinate in bottles and even defecate in bags in order to save time. Internal company documents leaked to me reveal. 
We, we have it from multiple sources. Um, I don't remember the blog, but it was like this old guy who was actually defending working at Amazon. Although, you know, maybe he was actually some other guy with an agenda, but I don't think so. And he was like, yeah, I had to relieve myself in a bottle on my delivery shift, but it's fine. I'm old. I'm lucky to have this job. Like we have multiple sources telling us this. Right. And now I yeah, it, if yeah. you just go on Reddit to the Reddits where drivers for Amazon sort of congregate and post, like you, you'll find hundreds of comments about this. It's just understood that this is part of being a delivery driver for Amazon is that you have no access to bathrooms and also no time to find one because your time down to the second. Um, and so, yes, it was very strange that Amazon sort of dared journalists to find proof of this because you don't have to even be a journalist to find proof of this. Right. So Mark Pocan, the representative, tweets out, paying workers $15 an hour doesn't make you a progressive workplace. When you union bust and make workers urinate in water bottles. And Amazon News tweets back, uh, you don't really believe the peeing in bottles thing, do you? If that were true, nobody would work for us. The truth is that we have over a million incredible employees around the world who are proud of what they do and have great wages and health care from day one. They love saying this from day one. And Pocan says, and yes, I do believe your workers. You don't. We hope you can enact pol. And then Amazon News writes, "We hope you can enact policies that get other employers to offer what we already do." <laughs> and then Dan Price, who I want to have on the show, uh, you killed so many small businesses that you're now the only employer in many towns. People don't quit because that would mean going hungry. True. Uh oh. Then they go after Warren. Uh, so, so Warren tweet, uh, wrote, I didn't write the loopholes you exploit, Amazon. Your armies of lawyers and lobbyists did, but you bet I'll fight to make you pay for your, to make you pay your fair share and fight your union busting and fight to break up big tech so you're not powerful enough to heckle senators with snotty tweets. Guys, this is how much I hate Amazon. They're making me like Elizabeth Warren. So. I know. I was right? about to say. I know. She, I mean, and yet she <laughs> persisted. Uh, this is extraordinary and revealing. One of the most powerful politicians in the United States just said she's going to break up an Amazon company that. so that they can't criticize her anymore. They're good. I feel like, I mean, they're almost good. Um, trying to do like that sassy Twitter clap yeah, back clap thing, it, yeah. but it doesn't work when you're punching down like that. Which you I always mean, are. Which Amazon, Amazon. Yeah, Amazon right. is never not punching down. Right. Right. It's like Darth Vader cannot yeah. do a clap back. Like that doesn't make any right, sense. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And they're trying but, to make it look like they're punching up by calling her one of the most powerful politicians right. in the United States. But spoiler alert, she's not. Also, right. the thing that Warren references here about the lobbyists, it's like Amazon has i think they recently as in like maybe four days ago got surpassed by facebook but they had the most lobbyists of any company in the country so we're talking about armies of lobbyists robert reich former um, labor secretary recently was testifying about amazon and described i think platoons of lobbyists which i think is a correct way to describe it i mean this company owns the country um, the more you sort of know about how this company works at the county level about how decisions are made and how tax subsidies are granted. It's like politicians serve at the behest of Amazon here. So, I mean, Warren is completely correct that like they are writing these laws and they're in charge of, you know, what does and doesn't happen. Um, so it just makes no sense for Amazon to accuse anyone of being more powerful than them. It's just simply not accurate anymore. Yeah. Maybe 20 years ago, they were just a book company, but that is just like right. way I out of date. I forgot that. Yeah, <laughs> oh I forgot yeah. that, yeah.
if you have another question, Jamie, ask another question. Then I just wanted you to give a quick summary of the PRO Act, mm -hmm. if you don't mind. Sure. Yeah, let's go to the PRO Act. Let's talk about mm -hmm. it. I think it's important. Yeah. Okay. Um, so the PRO Act is a sweeping labor law reform that has been passed in the House of Representatives by a vote of, I think, like 225 to, you know, it, it passed in the House. Um, I think everybody except one Democrat voted for it. And I think every Republican voted against it except for five people. I think five Republicans favored it. Um, so now it's in the Senate. Uh, what it does is so there have been several uh, efforts to reform labor law. Um, labor law as it exists in this country is incredibly stacked in favor of the employer at every level. I mean, it's just like shocking when you first start paying attention to this stuff. It's like, how does a worker ever win a union in this country? It's really a miracle every single time that someone wins. Um, and that's because, you know, everything in this uh, regime is is stacked against workers. So this is a very ambitious labor law, um, which does distinguish it from past ones, such as EFCA, the Employee Free Choice Act, which was sort of labor's big push dirt when Obama got elected, um, which was less um, ambitious. It sort of addressed one problem within the sort of broad set of things that that stop workers from getting unions and winning contracts. Um, and Obama didn't do anything to try to get it passed, even though he'd promised labor he would. And this is exactly how it always works with Democrats. Um, labor relies on them. They get out the vote. They do incredible mobilization to elect Democrats to you know positions. And then they turn their back on labor and don't push for their priorities. Um, so labor to its credit this time around has said, you know, we might as well go, go for everything. We might as well have this sweeping, incredibly ambitious thing if we're only going to get, you know, a sort of Hail Mary shot. Um, and so the PRO Act, you know, addresses all sorts of things. I won't bore your listeners with the details of it. I've done like several interviews about this that you could link to if you'd like with labor lawyers and experts and union members and whatnot. Um, but it basically the point here of the act is that it makes it easier for workers to organize unions. It makes it easier for them to get first contracts and it makes it easier for them to strike and otherwise take action on the job. Um, it increases penalties to employers for violating the law. Um, it gives teeth to the National Labor Relations Board to find find employers more for violating workers rights, so on and so forth. Um, so that's what the PRO Act is. Um, you know, it's a bit of a chicken and egg problem with labor law reform in this country in that, you know, unions are so weak that politicians, you know, often don't have real reason to have to listen to them. Um, and yet it's hard to get workers to get unions and workers stronger without reforming the laws. I mean, we're seeing it play out in, at the Amazon campaign right now, just how much the laws are stacked against unions. Um, and so that's that's what this law is. Um, I'm sure there's, you know, people might want to debate the odds it has of getting passed, but that's what it is. Thanks again so much for listening to The Katie Halper Show. See you next time. You can find Alex Press on Twitter at Alex N Press. You can find Chris Smalls on Twitter at shut underscore down Amazon. And you can find Jamie Peck on Twitter at Jamie underscore Elizabeth. Katie Halper Show is produced by Nick Palm. Our intern is Maria Trujillo. Our theme song is by the band Cordova. This episode of The Katie Helper Show was edited by Ted Reedy.